Hi, I am Nicole J. Georges. I am a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist living in Portland, Oregon, with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <coughs> Welcome to our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Today on Sagittarian Matters, I sit down with Ian Mackay. Stay tuned. Hello, listener friends. I am here to tell you a little bit about Ian Mackay. I think that you already know who he is. Ian Mackay is the founder of Discord Records. He was in a band called Minor Threat. He was in a band called Fugazi. He famously kept ticket prices down to $5 through Fugazi's career, even at the height of their success. He produced the first Bikini Kill record, and he's currently in a band called The Evens. Ian Mackay is someone who I see as a punk feminist dude who has done a lot of good in the world, and I was very, very happy to talk to him for the podcast. I want to tell you that I met Ian Mackay about 20 years ago in Kansas City when he flew in from D.C. to give a talk at a zine conference that I helped organize as a teenager. Um, He gave a talk and he was super nice to myself and my friends who accosted him to interview him for their zine, which was called Sleep is the Enemy. We talk about that in the interview. But Ian Mackay is still around and he's still willing to talk to people and I was so happy that I got to sit down with him. Now, before I give you the episode, I want to say that this episode is dedicated to Ann Winter. Ann Winter is, slash was, a friend of both Ian Mackay and myself. She's the person who flew him to Kansas City in the 90s for our zine conference and who brought Fugazi to Kansas City. She was also my mentor when I was a teenager. She sold my zine at her record store. She was super supportive of me, all my creative endeavors, and she gave me roles in nonprofits and in organizing that were way bigger than anything I had ever done before, and they changed the course of my life. Without her, I would not be where I am today, and I am very happy with where I am today. So, Ann Winter, she was a very special person. She is not with us anymore. She unfortunately succumbed to some pretty dark depression a few years ago. So I want to dedicate this episode in her loving memory. And I want to say, in honor of that, that if you, my listener, are feeling sad, if you're feeling low, if you're feeling like you do not want to go on, please know that sadness is not your final emotion. The only thing that we know for sure is that things change. And when you're at rock bottom, you're way down low, things can only get better. And as Ian says in this interview, when life is trying, keep trying. I agree. So now that you let me say that to you, to keep trying, things will get better, things will change. Please enjoy my interview with Ian Mackay. full disclosure you were on my mind uh because i have a minor threat cover band that Uh has played 
two shows since 2008, but... Okay. Um, it's not a very heavy schedule. No, but... it's not a heavy schedule. We, we like to keep it relaxed. But um, it just got resurrected. Somebody just saw, found a video of it and got really excited. So we were like, let's play again. And so then it was on my mind, and I was like, wow, Ian McKay, um was so generous and kind when I was a teenager. Mm. And, then, and then I thought, oh, my God, I would love to talk to you for the podcast. Thanks. What yeah. songs do you do? Okay. The songs that we have, uh, the songs that we've had in our set are Minor Threat. Mm-hmm. Straight Edge, mm-hmm. Out of Step, mm-hmm. In My Eyes, oh, and Filler. Okay. Filler, all right. Yeah. That Small Man Big Mouth? We don't have Small Man Big Mouth. We could add it to the set. Nobody, no one wants to, that's, a, that's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorites. Nobody ever does that one. Very rare. You, you know, know, I um, I did do a comic of that before. One day I just, Minor Threat just really, I was feeling a little self-conscious about still listening to Minor Threat because I was like, he must be so tired of ever talking about this. But then I realized that like Pet Sounds came out 50 years ago and I still want to talk about Pet Sounds. So Minor Threat, the mm. discography came out much, much more recently than that. So maybe it's... I suppose 30, 33 years ago. <laughs> 30, I mean, maybe it's still tiresome for you, but... No, it's not. Actually, it's not tiresome. It's, it's just interesting to me is that um, like the, the, when that band broke up really specifically because we were like not we didn't agree on which way to go with the, like what we wanted to do individually with music and with a band and instead of keeping the name and moving forward in a fractured way it was just decided everyone should just go do what they wanted to do and let's leave the entity of Meyer Threat leave it as pure as it could have been which, which you know like it was just these kids making music together um and I was really adamant about that. I wasn't like I wasn't going to change the band to follow the current trend, or whatever. Um, but I also, for me, it was very important about that band was that, like the first lyric in there was like, "We're not the first, we're not the last," you know. And I was thinking about this just the other day because I really meant that, and I still fucking mean it, you know. Like it was like that was like we represent a certain moment in time that I would hope would resonate throughout the ages you know that people could say well they, yeah they, they we're not we're not that now but but those guys were then we can be now we can do something on our own that would be similar or commiserate and um and in fact i when i wrote those those songs i quite deliberately never put any kind of like political reference or i don't name there's no proper nouns there's no because i didn't want to date it Mm-hmm. I didn't want to sing about Mondale or didn't, you know, I didn't want to sing about, certainly didn't want to sing about Reagan. I don't know why motherfuckers want to sing about Reagan. Um, I did not want to sing about Reagan. But mostly I wanted music to be, I wanted it to be representative. Like, hopefully it would, would mean something to kids forever because that's really who I was singing to. That was the idea. And I still, you know, I think my was a good band. And it's weird, like, the farther I get away from it, it's more I can look at it objectively, right? Yeah. Because I, you know, it's, it's, I mean, how old are you? 35. Okay, so when you were two is the last time <laughs> I sang those songs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, you know, so it's for me, it's like, it's, I can be kind of objective about it now. And in fact, I was working on the um, Minor Threat um, DVD. Mm. I was organized, this is years ago, but I was organizing, watching the videos, getting, editing it and working on it. 
and it occurred to me I had never actually watched the band because I was singing for it. Yeah. And I was like, wow, those fucking guys are good. Like <laughs> Ryan or Jeff are really, and Steve, when he was playing, they're really good players. And now that I have a more of a sense of, um, like my ability, like I know how to play guitar now. I didn't really play guitar back then. Yeah. I have to say I'm like pretty, they're, they're really good. And especially given the fact that they were teenagers, it's mind blowing. But oh, they were yeah. Doing. It's crazy. I feel uh, like I'm in the Make a Wish Foundation when I get to like be in Minor Threat with the cover band. So, yeah, yeah. Because it yeah. just sounds so good to hear That's, it. Yeah. yeah. Hear the volume all the way up and people are yeah. playing it right then. But here's the thing about punk in my mind. Like I saw um some years ago, there was a punk rock karaoke show. It was like, people from Circle Jerks and Bad Religion and these other L.A. punk people. And they were touring around the country. Um, and they had like a set list of they had a, a bunch of songs. You go into the, Have you ever been to one of these things? Uh, no, but there's a lot of them that happen in Portland. All right, well, this one is like it's a touring band. They have like 40 what they would consider punk classics. You go in as you go into the um, the club. There's like a long like there's a long list of songs, and then you can sign up for the song. Mm-hmm. And then so once they're playing, then they just call up, they pull up paper like, okay, you know, Nicole, you come up and sing the song you signed up for or whatever. And I was really ambivalent about going down, um, but I knew some of the guys in the band. One of them was Dez, who was a singer of Black Flag, who I hadn't seen in 25 years or something, and. I said, oh, just go down there. Like, you know, get over yourself. You know, not that, I've, I mean, mostly I just felt ambivalent about it. I'm very, I'm not a sentimental dude like that. I could really, like, I'm not like, oh, those are the days. I could give a fuck about that. But um, I went down and I was, I was kind of bracing myself for a lot of weird nostalgia. But what I saw was they could, they played the songs very faithfully. They did a good job of the songs. The kids, when they got on stage, like their enthusiasm and their passion for those songs, like like when those singers, like if he or she was just going off the singer, I would, it just was like it felt real. And that's when I realized that these songs, in many ways, are like spirituals. Yeah, like the song, you know, they're like they're spirituals in the sense that they're songs that people live with. Um, that they, they, they help them navigate navigate the situation they're in, their their lives. And they're made to be sung live. They're made to be sung with other people. That's that's right. I mean, in fact, Minor Threat, the whole point of Minor Threat was to get into a room and sing with people, which, by the way, is the same way I feel about Fugazi and the Evens. Like, it's always been, for me, the idea of getting into a room with a bunch of people and singing. That's That's it. And Meyer Threat, if you listen to my songs, you can always tell, like, I always, like, I'm, it's like the hooks, the choruses. I want people to sing along. That's the idea. And seeing people, actually, there's a couple, they did a couple of Meyer Threat songs that night, and it was incredible. And then this guy sitting next to me, he's like, you should go sing a song. I said, there's no fucking way I'm singing. (laughs) I said, that's not, that's not the real deal. But these people, these are the real deal. Seeing a woman who had been listening to like some Black Flag song and singing in a mirror for a fucking 10 years and then getting on the mic, blowing my mind, really was a beautiful night. And I really appreciate it. And it made me realize how much the live, how much those songs, um, how they bloom 
uh, in a live setting. Yeah. You know, the, the vinyl, they're, they're locked. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a locked group, which is great. It's great that they exist. I'm glad to have the evidence, the hieroglyphics. But seeing them come to life is pretty, it's pretty beautiful. So I, I support cover bands like that, you know. Thanks. I kind of was like, I was like, I shouldn't tell them. That's weird. That's too weird. That's like saying you do drag of somebody or something. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like it's out there. I mean, ideas, they, they go out and then like I just wrote something the other day and I said, you know, obviously interpretation is, you know, it, it lives with the receiver. You know, mm-hmm. that's, I can't control that. If you are in a, if you and your friends are interested enough in the thing I did 30 years ago, that you want to go sing the songs, that's why I wrote the songs. Well, I'm glad that's it's, it's fun to do. And I, it's weird. Like they still resonate with me, you know, I, I mean, there is, there is music. I mean, music resonates with me too. So yeah. I understand the kick my ass. Music? I just intend to return that favor. Yeah. And that, and I intend to return that favor. That was the point. Do you ever listen to that NPR show, Speaking of Faith? I have. There with, was, is it Krista Tippett? Yeah. That, with yeah. Krista Tippett. She has like a very yeah. soothing voice. But Yeah, the, disturbingly soothing. There was an episode with Bobby McFerrin. And, mm-hmm. you know, generally I wouldn't identify as a Bobby McFerrin fan, as one of my identifiers in the world. But he was. they were talking about the spirituality of people singing together in public. Like human mm-hmm. beings singing together and experiencing song together, and everyone yeah. singing stem, and it really was a beautiful episode. I can dig it, yeah, and yeah. I would agree. And I would agree with that. I mean, my my richest moments in music have always been with where the whole room is singing. I just experience. Um, uh, Amy and I have you ever seen the Evens? Do you familiar with the no, Evens? No, but I've at heard all? the Evens. Okay. We went to um, South America. We were invited to come down and play by I have a friend in Brazil who does shows. And he's like, you should come down. We're going to do this arts festival and you guys should come play. But we had never been to South America and our records were not being distributed down there. Um, and we talked about it. And, I mean, obviously it was being, we were being invited down, you know, certainly to some degree on the, this, based on the fact that I was in Fugazi and Fugazi was so popular down there. We had done some touring down there. We were very well known and people, you know, but people were very interested in the events coming down. And Amy and I talked about it for a while. We were, again, we were ambivalent about it. We felt we didn't want to go down the strength of, like we didn't go down on behalf of Fugazi because we're the events. But on the other hand, we were reassured by the people in Chile and Argentina and Brazil, like, no, we want the event. We know, we know. So our first show was in Santiago in Chile. And, um, right before the show was like six or seven hundred people showed up, which we were like, "Whoa, that's not what we were expecting." Like, we were not expecting that many people. We thought like maybe fifty people, and uh, and we had this sudden realization, like, "Oh shit, they're gonna want Fugazi, and here we're gonna be doing our weird thing." And so kind of, but it was on. So we went out, and we started to play, and the first song, like, I just suddenly. Like we hit the chorus, and there was like this moment where, like, all of a sudden the crowd just started to sing along, and it was so surreal that they were singing along because I I couldn't process the fact that they would know the songs because our records weren't um, for sale there. I mean, obviously they had downloaded the crap out of it, yeah, 
which was and, and what I said to them was like you downloaded this stuff and they're like oh yeah and I said thank you that's why I wrote the songs that's why we have those songs and also they, they, they're, they're Spanish speakers so there is a phonetic exercise largely which has a whole other really prof- like interesting quality to it um, it was just beautiful and it really made me and that was like a really like a truly like magical moment in terms of music because that's all that's it that's why that's why I make music so we can be in a room together singing that's it that's it and that was a perfect example of like a moment where like that's that's why I'm doing this I mean that makes it so I was telling you a little bit I wanted to talk about touring because for me like the act of being away from home or in transit sometimes is physically taxing but moments like that when you just get that it just is like oh this is so worth it like Mm-hmm. He just traveled think, across the world for a two-hour show, and then yeah. this is the thing that you get is magical. Right. right. I think touring for me, like I'm weird. I'm a really anchored person, mm-hmm. super anchored. Like I have, like I'm 54 and I've lived in three houses my entire life, basically. Mm-hmm. No, most people can't, and I own two of them, and my dad lives in the other one. Mm-hmm. I have keys to all three of them, mm-hmm. so it's totally surreal that I have this kind of like anchor. At the same time, I'm totally when we like times I've toured, I I just feel I'm home everywhere. I just feel at home. I really I do love just I love the mission. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's also very clear for me like the gig, the gig, the gig. Like that's why why we go to play shows. Like all we're thinking about is like all right, the gig. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do the gig, and that's what's next. The gig, the next gig is the next. Yeah, you know, that's the thing we're gonna do next, and and it's a um. To the degree where it's like we don't like we don't hang out, like we do the gig and then we drive. Yeah. And just we're not like we love seeing our friends, but we're not like it's not we're not it's not an inner, not it's not an amusement. Like we're not there to be like we're really working. And um, I loved I loved like, as I said earlier I loved waking up in different places. I I feel really comfortable. I feel at home everywhere. Um, and I feel it's an incredible gift like to be in Santiago and the, and. There's no question that there's some, it can get arduous, you know, like it's, touring is exhausting sometimes. And it's, um, it's actually really tre- treacherous at times. Like there's been some really sketchy moments, like really sketchy, oh, scary moments. I heard you, you tell know. a story about Kansas City. Was yeah, with a gun. Yeah. That was insane. Pulling right? a gun on you. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that's actually, that's just a weird moment. Like, I'm thinking more about things like being in the, I mean, just the driving alone. Like, yeah. there's been so many, it's just, you know, it's a lot of driving. And, you know, and, and you see a lot of, it, it's just sketchy. And there's, and then you have situations where, like, you miss the ferry and you're, like, stuck in a pier or you get, I don't know, you get pulled over by the customs. Pre- I don't know, it's just whatever. It's just, and it's exhausting. But, on the other hand, you know, you get to be in Santiago. Yeah. Sing with a bunch of people you've never met before. Yeah. Are there things that you do to help ground you when you're traveling? You know, when I first started going away, early on, I couldn't stand touring because I was going to be away from D.C. Mm-hmm. But because of the scene, like the gigs and the people, I just couldn't stand to be away from them. That mm-hmm. drove me crazy. Like the gig, I would hate to miss a gig. Um, and I miss my family, of course. Like, But... 
pretty I didn't I don't know I've always traveled it's never been really an issue I mean now it's interesting because now I have a seven year old son who actually will be eight in a couple of weeks and Amy and I like the, you know we live together and the three of us live together and I can't stand being away from them I like traveling with them mm-hmm. but like I've been I was recently you know invited to do they want to fly me out to Glasgow to do a talk and they'd pay me but eh, not worth it to me yeah I, I'd rather stay home yeah. It's not worth, you know, I might go, maybe at some point I'll go back out and do some talking. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm ambivalent about talking too, frankly. I don't mind doing interviews like this, but the, there's so much fucking chatter in the world now. I find it so refreshing. Um, so I was trying to listen to some of other interviews with you or talks you had done to get ready for this because I was like, I was, a, I was a little bit afraid of like beleaguering you with questions you've gotten your whole life that you're like, oh, please don't ask me that again. Um but I was like, oh, it's so refreshing to hear his point of view because I listen to so many podcasts and storytelling podcasts, and a lot of it is the exact same perspective. I mean, just yeah. like with the ma- mainstream media, but you continually have such a different perspective that I'm not used to hearing on those. I know I feel like for my, I almost feel like podcasts are like zines right now, or for me as a yeah. zinester who I'm just like, oh God, cut and paste again. Like I don't, you know, it sounds horrible to me. But making a podcast somehow feels exciting and a little bit like I'm expressing the point of view I wanted to express through a zine, but I'm doing it on audio waves. I would agree. And I think the other thing about I me, mean, obviously, for a podcast, I mean, I'm I mean, I'm not necessarily saying this is the case with me, but you're getting to have conversation with people who you're interested in. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, like I, I'm assuming was I'm sorry, what's her, the woman's name who did that diary? Phoebe Gluckner. Right. Like I, you know, my impression from like your intro, you, you're really like she was an important like artist for you. Yeah, and you get to spend some time with her. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a great thing. I I don't have any issue with that. And and frankly, I think there are. I listen to podcasts. I think they're interesting. What's bothersome to me is hearing the format. Mm-hmm. Like I start to hear it too clearly, um, but also like the word so which had been misused so terribly in recent years. Um, there's a lot of cliche in podcasts and especially storytelling ones. I've, I'm actually, I almost can't listen to them anymore. Storytelling ones. Cause I, they're just so, I don't know. It's just, I feel like people must, they feel shameful to me in a weird way. Like there's something wrong going on that no one, everyone's like just happy. And I, I worry that our society is, um, you know, the concept of bread and circus. Are you, are you familiar with that? No. What is, will you explain that? I think there's a, a, I think the Romans came up with a Caesar, one of those bastards, you know, and then I think Hitler actually kind of came also agreed. He also referenced it. The idea is you give everybody bread and circus then you can do what you want mm-hmm. you know and i feel like when you pick up the a weekly and you if you tell me if you see anything there other than new ale houses and fucking just it's just nothing but circus yeah bread circus food drink and entertainment yeah like that's it that's what people that's largely like that's the the, the bulk of a lot of the weeklies and stuff and and what people talk about and like foodie culture and all that stuff and i think wow it's so bizarre like it really is because i think people don't know what else to do with all this energy because there's nowhere to you can't focus it on anything you can't focus it so focus it on something like you know like these things that other people are doing so it's a, you have a sense of sh- a shared experience but 
weird because it's just only bread and circus. Yeah. It's not, and I feel the same way. But with storytelling, they're really what's interesting about storytelling things that they are so closely linked to alcohol consumption. Right? I would they're love like, to talk to you about alcohol consumption. As right, far, right, but, like, but it's interesting because I feel like they're, 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 it's all about like being at the bell house or wherever you know, it's like the bars and yeah. and people like it's and like they gotta get loosened up. And I think like there's something not working here. It's not right. Like these are not. These are you know, the stories are not if the stories aren't strong enough to come out without lubrication, then maybe work on that. That's just me. You know, that's me. You know, that shouldn't come as a surprise. Well, you know, I I think it's um, so I I was listening to a thing where you were talking about, you know, how like like just the original straight edge idea of like why people should be able to enjoy music without it having to be tied to alcohol. And as a gay person, I mean that's a thing like with gay pride is every gay pride festival every event is surrounded by alcohol is the the reason for the season i mean people are like right. we're gay and we're proud and we're together but definitely it's sponsored by you know absolute or cores or whatever and so we're going to a nightclub we're all getting drunk and grinding on each other or we're in public and at the end of our parade we can right. all drink beer at a beer garden right or we're gonna play kickball and then go go to a beer garden is this like, isn't that, that's just the industry that industry People have never understood my, like my, like I obviously I don't drink. I never drank, and that's that. Be that as it may, like my real anger with this situation is with the industry. It's an odious industry, and they will insert themselves anywhere they can. So like music, and it just becomes like this thing where you it's like it, it's like the, the the required elixir or something that people can't be themselves without it, which is ironic because of course, like we are ourselves like to begin with. Yeah. And that it's just so ironic to me that people feel like they can't be themselves without removing themselves. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make any sense to me, you know? Um, and, and it's a shame, but I, I mean, I don't, but it's hard for me to talk about because people, um, I think people, um, they merely hear, like they hear it as a, a moral critique or an ethical, an ethical critique of them, which I don't intend at all. Yeah. But I see it is more like, I actually, like, I find the alcohol industry insidious and horrible. Mm-hmm. I find the military industry insidious and horrible. I find the funeral industry insidious and horrible. I found the healthcare industry insidious and horrible. I find the cosmetic industry just insidious and horrible. There's like no shortage of horrible industries <laughs> who are preying upon those industries that prey upon people's insecurities. Yeah. That is, that's a terrible business. Yeah. People, you know, and so all those things, like you think about all those things, those, those, those things I just named, they all prey upon insecurity. People are fears. They're fierce. They're worried. They're, they're scared of death. They're scared of the, the enemy, whoever that is. They're scared of people's, critique of their faces or their body hair or whatever and these industries like i remember reading in some point in the late 80s or early 90s that americans at the time i think spent more money on cosmetics than on the on military that is crazy like what? soap and cosmetics yeah they spent more money on that than on on, on weaponry like than the military than the budget like the military budget that's nuts but I think people they believe it. People think like, oh, I gotta, I gotta depilate or I gotta fucking, you know, you know, 
and, and this is not this is not this is men and women i'm not talking about it's yeah, like yeah, this yeah. is people worrying about their appearance based on what i don't know i don't understand it i just don't understand it but mostly i feel like that the industries that are behind this like they're not making it easier on human beings this is a weird segue but i i went and saw kathleen hannah give a lecture here Mm -hmm. uh, a year ago or so and it was really great and part of it she said you know feminist art isn't free because it's not free to make like it is people's emotional labor to make this art and thus i think people should pay for art and so at the end of her talk somebody stood up and was like you know you say you want to make feminism accessible to people and you know you're an intersectional feminist but the ticket to this was $25 and after service fees it was $30 so how can you say it's accessible and Kathleen Hanna was like well I don't know if you're trying to get me to say it wasn't worth it that I'm not worth it but I can't I can't really say that but I thought it was I mean it's it's weird because I really respect your values of keeping prices low but I also really value artists getting paid for their work as a class issue and then the idea that people will spend that $30 on cigarettes or on gas or on alcohol without questioning it, but the artists and the thinkers in our communities are the ones that they expect to get, you know, uh, a cheaper product from is kind of turns my brain inside out. Well, I think that the reason it turns your brain inside out because it's walking a fine line. What do you, what I mean, do you mean? Really, like, like in other words, like in that particular case, it does seem odd, for instance, that like for instance, I like I once was invited to do a talk at somewhere, and then in turn the ticket was going to be thirty five dollars. Mm-hmm. And I said that's crazy because I'll do a show. I might charge ten dollars, which is for me double what I usually charge. But yeah. still, I mean, my basic rule of thumb is like what people pay to see a movie. Mm-hmm. And if people pay ten, twelve, fifteen dollars to watch a light on a fucking wall. <laughs> Right, they can pay that much to see a human being who's driven all day, yeah. and set up the gear and all that stuff, you know. Um, but there is some odd then if I was for me to do like to arrive, Amy and I to drive all day, set up our gear, play the show, and then break down and drive on, and get and do a ten and people are paying ten dollars, and then I come by myself. I'm flown in. I do a talk. It's thirty dollars. It doesn't. There's no. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I agree with you that art. I actually think art should be pragmatic and there should be a middle class in art. I, I believe in that. But I think that the problem is that there, the, the, um, the, that industry, like all industries, operates on what the market will bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the people who are in charge of that, the people who are driving that, a.k.a. the artists, right, if they're not mindful of the situation, then the industry around them will, will – will push for that figure, what the market will bear. Um, I don't know the specifics of Kathleen's situation. I don't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I can assure you that those tickets did not, did not have to be $30. I'm sure of that because I, I know the basic, you know, like in other words, like where was the, where was the gig? It was at a place here. I came up for it was called Revolution Hall. It's a, like a new hall right. like a new venue that was trying to make a right. name for itself like a big right. theater is, right so this is not a criticism of kathleen at all this is just like this is what the market will bear mm-hmm. and it's totally reasonable i agree like if people will spend you know thirty dollars on five drinks like certainly 
having Kathleen travel out and share these her the ideas and I mean she's a brilliant person you know like totally worthwhile I understand that I also know that you know if one has the energy and wants to push push on like drill down on what the actual economics of a gig are then probably could have been I would imagine it could be done cheaper what do you think is the is the balance to or is the solution to like inquire harder with the venues and with the promoters and, or is the solution to do things like more DIY? Like, is there a way for artists to get paid for their work as much as they can while still making it affordable to their. I I would patients? think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, the thing is like, here's the deal. Like I, in the case of like, like you saw Catherine show and you loved it, right? Yeah. Saw her talk and she was great. So that was well spent money, right? Yeah. I think the person who was questioning her I think that that you know, it's a fair it's a fair question because I think that there is a lot of discussion about, about class and costs and I, I understand it um, and I think it's I, I don't this is it's, I mean it's good to, I mean Kathleen's response is intense um, like am I worth it or not you know because it sort of it dodges the, the question really in a way Um because not a not a critique of her; it's more a critique of the what's becoming what the market will bear if people pay that much. Like I, I'm, I find it very interesting. I don't know. I don't know. And in terms of can people do it a different way? Of course, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. You know, you don't need to do it in a. Like you don't necessarily need to do it in a particular a particular hall. I Means talking, right? Yeah. So you could I mean if it was left to me, if I was booking a show. Like if I was not happy with the particular like let's say let's say a venue contacted me and wanted me to come talk and first of all I wouldn't do it in a bar, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. I'm just not that's a bummer. And I had to find a room that makes sense. So I'm always asking a lot of questions about what the room is like and how would it work and how's the acoustics in it because I, I do Q and A's, right? So Q and A I have to be able to hear the people and I have to see them. So mm-hmm. I'm not interested in like a weird cavernous room. I has to so it's, you know I always ask a lot of questions. If the room that's kind of coming doesn't seem right, and I, I'm still interested in going to that town, I say let's go, let's find a, a community room somewhere where the rent generated is actually going to an organization that is doing something for the community. That's such a right? cool idea. Yeah, that's that's what the Fugazi method was. We always like if we I mean obviously we get to a point where we're playing largely larger venues, but that was as a result of that's like a, it's really a safety concern for us. We can't. If we're going to draw 2,000 people, we can't put it in like a falling down garage somewhere, right? That's not safe. And it's not fair because people won't get in. Um, so when we got bigger, we started having to play in more traditional venues. And then we had to bring our politics into the venue. But it left to, if, if we were not drawing that big a crowd, we would still – we always were trying to find – specifically find rooms with venues. And a lot of times it was church halls because churches are so involved with the community. Mm-hmm. So the money that's being generated, the rent that's being generated is going entirely into an organization that that money is going to the commu- back to the community somehow. This is an idea, you know, and I, that's more interesting to me. Like, Or I'll do it with, like, say, like, um, you know, a gallery that works with the, like a small gallery. Then that's the thing with the evens. Like we don't play clubs. We just played – we play weird venues, you know. We just try to play – we did play the um, – Pine Street Theater. Mm-hmm. The, we played the theater room, mm-hmm. like the that theater room. 
that was nice. That was a really good show. That worked out well. But before we played in a gallery, and I can't, unfortunately, I can't remember the name of it right now. I feel like it was the Midnight Sun or the Midnight oh, Sun. It's gone that, now. That's a real place. That was a real place. Yeah. Something like that. Something like 10 years ago or 12 years ago, we were there. Um, But we've played like, you know, galleries and museums, thrift stores, um, backyards, barns. We can set up anywhere. Mm -hmm. The idea is to get it out of the the rock club and try to make music, have music exist elsewhere. Make it, and it, I mean, we make less money. Yeah. You know, we don't, you know, other people are making a lot more money than we are, but it's all right. I don't care. Today's episode is brought to you by a generous donation of temporary office space by Steve and Maya Schrader. Thanks, neighbors. I think when you came to Kansas City, when I was so I, before, off off podcast camera, I was talking to you about when you came to Kansas City in the late '90s when I was a teenager, and um, did a talk, and also some of my friends interviewed you for their zine called "Sleep Is the Enemy." which you were very gracious about. It answered all their questions, even though their questions were literally insane. Like, we think that sleeping's so stupid. Why would anybody sleep? You don't need to sleep. And you said something very sensical, like even the library needs to close. So the library they put can, away the books. Yep. The library can put yep. away the books. But you also yep. said something there about business where you said that, um, you know, like the American model of business is if your business is successful, then you sell it off right. to a bigger thing and how you didn't believe in that. Mm-hmm. And that you believed in, you know, doing a business because you love the business and then just keeping it at a certain level that was tenable for you. Right. Is that? But, yes, um, that's true. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I said. Basically, that's essentially what I said. Yeah. So it's and almost 20 years believe. later. You still believe. It's, of course. Has it, have you had to change it all based on digital sales mm-hmm. or anything? No. No. Cool. <laughs> that's all. Those things just Speed resonated up. in my mind. Yeah, I mean, be at peace with the wax and the wane. You know, like I, there was a time where nobody bought, nobody even knew I was a musician, much less bought my records. There was a period of time where people knew I was a musician, they bought some records. There's a period of time where people knew who I was a musician, they bought a lot, a lot of records. Mm-hmm. And now there's a time where people buy some records. Sorry, that's all right. It doesn't. It's all fine. It's not. I don't. I don't see it. That, that's the thing. Like they. The, you know, the 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 principle of you have to be growing at all, all times. It's impossible to always expand. You would burst. You know, you would burst. Um, maybe it's just okay to be alive and just to make things that feel right to you. Maybe that's okay too. And not it would drive you crazy because you, you know you see other people who are like, man, they're so they have so much money or whatever and they, you know like, and you think that's crazy but then you think oh well that's their that's their problem <laughs> it's yeah. not like I don't you know I feel like just just keep on yeah I'm not an expansionist I've never been an expansionist I just kept going I mean I don't, I don't say like I feel like you know December will be 36 years of discord it's a long time for a, a label that was too idealistic to to really exist in the first place mm-hmm. you know I have four full time employees who all get health insurance sorry that's great no. and most of the and you know most of the profit of the, of the label goes to paying them but that's fine because they they want to keep it going and then there's royalties and we pay all the bands still everybody who's ever done a record if it generates a profit they get paid 
Um, that's what I like the most. Every six months, I sit down and I handwrite all the checks. And my staff are like, you're crazy. I go, I just like it. I like to write. I like to think about everybody. You know, it's not a lot of money. It's like 50 bucks here or $200 there. It doesn't matter. But it's like these are records that came out th- you know, three decades ago. And they're still getting you know, enough money to buy a dinner. It's cool. I remember in the 90s, people that did zines would be like, I just got a check for $10 from Discord to buy an advertisement in their zine. <laughs> yeah, I was just telling these guys, I did an interview earlier today about this college radio thing. And I told them that we had a really strong principle about we like we never took ads out and spin or you know, our thinking was that the amount of money you would spend on an ad in one of those magazines, you could buy ad space in like dozens and dozens of fanzines. And though we didn't really think that those ads necessarily were going to make people going to see those ads and buy our records, what we felt was that those are entities we want to support because of who they are and what they're doing. And we felt like just the fact that we would send 10 or 20 bucks or 50 bucks to these smaller, these small publications, we felt like it was a vote. It was a vote for the underground, for the counterculture. And that we felt like they, those people should be supported. Um, and I love hearing when people say, God, man, I had a zine. You actually took an ad. I was like, good. That's exactly what the, and they're like, someone said, like, Oh, I guess, you know, you probably, that wasn't, you didn't probably make your money back on that one. Cause I only sold 20 copies. I said, it doesn't matter. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a, um, we weren't gambling, right? Yeah. We weren't gambling. We were dis- we were disseminating. We were sharing. The idea was to say that we we support like this work, and even in, it costs us ten dollars to support it. Who cares? It's fine. But we want them to know that that like that's where we live. We live with the fanzines. That and makes me. I feel so yeah. touched. I feel like this this kind of idea is like the framework for my whole life. Almost. I mean, like that's. It's different. That's I, that's something I like about the podcast is it's free for people to access. Mm. And so many other projects I do are not free. And also I have access to artists and musicians that are just my friends. And we have yeah. these conversations all the time, but I feel like they're privileged conversations. And so if right. I can share them with people. Mm-hmm. And so, I can do that. So but free, except that we to, everyone pays a monthly bill. Right? I mean, I have to actually pay to do the podcast. I'm not saying this is not a critique of you. <laughs> no, no, I'm just no, no. But, but, but for it's, other people to access free. it, it's free. It's free once you're in the gated community. What do you mean? Like what if you have like the internet? I mean, I guess if people can go to the library, but by and large, you got to pay, you know, somewhere between 50 and a hundred dollars a month to have some kind of connection, whether it's a telephone or a, or a DSL or whatever mm-hmm. files or the fuck it is or cable, whatever it is. I'm, I think a lot about that. Like all this, it's like it's content for, it's it's creating con, it's creating content that then ne- necessitates like a monthly contract with companies that are just. I mean, it's, it's just an interesting situation. Like with fanzines, like you could print up a fanzine, mm-hmm. it costs you some money, and then people can share it. That's free. Someone can look, read it, and then hand it to somebody else. That is really free. I'm not. This is not quibbling with you. I'm just thinking. I've I've thought about this a lot because I thought about the the nature of what's going on here, really, which is that we are compelled to come in. Like every month, we pay to stay in. Yeah, I guess yeah. we could go. We could go to the library. Um, and I'm I'm a cheapskate too. Like right. I'm the guy that's like you know I'm still like like I'm the guy with the the phone. Like I have like a 
pay-as-you-go plan. I don't ever like I don't I don't have a contract. I don't I don't even have a smartphone. I just have a flip phone because I'm just like I don't I don't want to live on that thing. I don't mind having it for emergencies, but I don't want to because I mostly because I think that the monthly the idea that everyone is like it's like a life is becoming like a monthly note. Like mm-hmm. this is how much it costs me to be alive every month. So then, if you think like, hey, like, well, I have the rent, my phone, and my healthcare, hopefully, and food, whatever, and then you, and my student loan, probably, you know, all these things, you add that up, my note is going to be, you know, $1,100 a month, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go get a job, and you you have to get a job, and you make, and you realize, okay, I'm making $400 a week, that's $1,600 a month, so I get, you know, after, you know, okay, I could make $100 extra for a go see movies, or it's not, there's something wrong in that equation for me, that, that that's the mentality. And I've never lived like that. But I realized when I talk to people who I, you know, friends of mine, especially younger friends, that really that's the way they're rolling. They have like their, their credit cards are paying down. Like there's a, a note that's their number every month. Um, um, it's, I think it must feel like I think that's why there's so much investment in the idea of the lottery because that knocks the note out, right? Yeah, right? so you could just live. Like, like, okay, I'm free, you know, because I well, hit that, but otherwise you'll never have, otherwise it's just perpetual. You'll never, one will never get above the note because like they're, they just make that much extra and they have to work so hard so they can't actually flourish in any other area, you know, unless they win the lottery or something, whether yeah. that means literally winning a lottery or suddenly a friend of theirs is like, you know, oh, I just, um, I just, I just won the lottery. I want to hire you or, or whatever the fuck, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it removes a sense of self-determination or something from people. Um, you know, it's a really, you just, I feel like they start to feel they can't get escape the, the round and round. They, if they, the only way to do that is to drop cost, but you can't, there's things you can't lose. You know, if you, like, I think people would be very freaked out if they couldn't have their phones or whatever, you know. I mean, this is an interesting situation. I honestly feel like not having any student loan debt is a thing yeah. that has allowed me to live as an artist. Right. And I mean, I've lived in some pretty, like, not so awesome conditions in order to further that cause. Sure. But the way that I get to, spend my time volunteering, working at nonprofits, and then being a cartoonist is because I'm not, I don't have credit card debt. I didn't, I don't have college loans. I don't have any of that stuff. Right. But so I'm not locked in. Right. You are. Right. And me neither. But that's like a, I guess that's the point. I think actually there's a significant number of people who are not living like that. Like the people who are actually, and I have, I know quite a few people who are really saddled. And I think about like the, Especially the internet, because there is this weird sense like it's free, but it's not free. That's all. It's just yeah. not free. Um, um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a curmudgeon, and I'm not against it. I just think about stuff. Yeah. You know, I would think about the same way I, that I think about the internet. Is the way I think about, you know, whatever. Forever and ever, I've always. I just look at things. I think about it. And I, I hold it to the light, and then I turn the light and I move it around. And I look at it a different way. Like the source of the light is so important to me. Like, cause you see, that's when you see the real shadows, you know, that's where you start to see what's going on or you have a different perspective on it. I heard you talk about how, uh, devices seem kind of like the way that people are numbing out now. 
And it made mm-hmm. me wonder, like, what if there was some kind of movement that was like straight edge, but it was for devices? So if you had a feeling, instead of stuffing that feeling by spacing out on your phone, if you did something productive with that feeling, like, I will, I will have a feeling that's overwhelming and look at Instagram for 45 minutes. Yeah. And then that time of my life is gone. And I will want that time back at the end of my life. I won't be glad that I spent it that way. It's very, it's, it's troubling. I have to say, like, even last night, I was like, I kind of like, ah, and I was like, I'm going to look at the Washington Post for a second. Yeah. And next thing I know, I'm like watching, you know, whatever. You just go down the fucking path. Yeah. You know, I always tell people, you, you know, you go to look up the definition of like a word like, you know, you know, centrifugal. And then you end up seeing fatal NASCAR crashes in 1971. Like, how did I get there? And it's like, um, it's it's very weird. It's very weird. And I, you know, I, I think we are stoned on technology. I agree. Yeah, and that will pass. That will pass. I, I think at so. some point we're like, yeah, I think so. It might be a while, but it'll pass. People. You don't see people like standing around their landlines going like, oh, my God, I can call anybody on this. You know, it's like, it just doesn't – the, the charm wears off after a while. It just becomes a tool and no one really cares about what you can do. Although this other bit about bread and circus does not let up. That stays – that's still like, – the, the, the amount of options and the amount of candy that's in there, the, the sugar of like, – the sugar of the internet is really tricky. You know, anything that you, anything that could tickle you, you can look at on there. Mm-hmm. And if you have an itch, right, and you're looking to get scratched, then you just, you get, you just go down there. You go down that, you can go down that, that hole and you can be there for a long, long time. It's a, it's very weird. I was reading a fascinating thing that said that when you, when you write an email, you get an, an endorphin release. When you receive it, you have an endorphin inhibitor. Like it's if someone writes you back, it bums you out. Oh yeah, I, I attest to that. Yeah, you know, unless I'm asking a particular question, like, "Hey, can you blah blah blah?" and they write me back, I'm like, "Thank you for answering." But usually, someone writes me, I'm like, "Oh God," and I write them back. And I feel like, good. I'm done. And then and they're then, gonna write you again. Yeah, so um, you have to go. Uh, yeah, I should go, but we, we can continue. Yeah, uh, we you should go, but do you have last-minute um, advice for young artists or people, musicians? Musicians or artists coming up? I mean, I will give you my st- – I have a standard piece of advice for all people. All about, people? For all things, yeah, of course. Okay. Which is – and this goes to artists and musicians and podcasters. <laughs> um that whatever someone endeavors, whatever you want to do, um, to love it, to really fucking love it. Um, because that way, should you not reach a place of which feels whatever your one's definition of success is with your, whatever your form and discipline or art is, um, and you were not successful by whatever measure that means, you will have at least spent your time doing something you loved. It seems so straightforward to me <laughs> and obvious, you know, that you that you should love what you do. Um, and if you don't love it, then you're speculating and you should do something else. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, music is, there's no question about it. I'm going to play it whether people listen or not. Um, 
and even talking. Like, I love this. I love to talk. Um, and sometimes I do, uh, I'll do, I've done so many interviews in my life. I've done so much of these things, so many of these things. And sometimes I think, like, God damn, I've done a lot of time just blathering on. But I realize, but I fucking loved it. I spent my time doing something I loved. I feel like that's so, it's so nice. That's it's such, true. That's such a nice way to look at life. It's, just, it's, it's a true for me. It's the truth. You know, this is a way I I feel like we should it's joy bringing. You know, that's the idea. Yeah, that's what music and all this to me. It's supposed to be like we we diff, we engage in difficult subjects. We engage in um, you know sometimes we deal with harsh situations, but the point was joy. Right, like we can, we 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 are critical because we want life to be better. So, live better. Start with that. Start with living better. Start with like being critical, but not being filled with hatred. You know, start with not wallowing in bitterness. Like, start with being happy. And then speaking from a point of view of like concern, like this is not like, I mean, I hope you can hear like when I talk about people, like I'm not mad at people. I just talking, you know, I get mad. I say shit about industry, but I even said like, I'm not mad. I get it. I'm not against, I just get mad at the industry. I feel like they make people feel bad. I'm critical of those industries. And even the situation, like talking stuff, like I don't hate, I don't think it's wrong. I'm just, I just feel weird about it. But it's not, I'm not bitter about it at all. And, you know, I think that um, that's a good place to start from is getting rid of bitterness. And just being like, think about, try to think about the joy of life. Mm-hmm. That's sort of, um, it seems like a better way to spend your time, one's time, not your time, or your time. Is it's- gratitude the antidote to bitterness? Or an. A way, a way out of it, a way of look, seeing out of it. Maybe gratitude is it's slightly, for some reason it strikes me as a slightly loaded. I mean, I like the term gratitude, but it's a little bit. It has a a little bit of a. I'm not sure if it's necessary to even be. I mean, yes, I guess one should be grateful. I guess, but I don't or, know. But or then, just like appreciative of your, like, oh, well, like I get to live in this body now. I'm yes, indoors. Yes, it's actually it's beautiful. Not, right, or again, if people, if someone feels like they're angry about something, what is the point of the anger? If the anger is that they're they want to be happy, then they should start with start with that like try to think about not being happy like goofy like whatever but just more in, in terms of trying to be thoughtful not trying to I guess really not trying to add to the unhappiness that's the main thing um, like when you were telling the story about Kathleen in the, in the talk I was really wondering like was that person what was the point of their criticism are they angry about something and were they trying to make everybody else feel bad or was it a criticism, sort of like a real? A tr- I just don't know. I mean, I wasn't there, but I've certainly seen people. I've and I have had people confront me, where they try to like, they'll say, "Oh, you know, 
well, you blah, 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 blah. They'll, they'll accuse me of something or they'll say, ask me a question, leading question to try to pull me into something. And I always think like, wow, they're, they're really unhappy, you know, cause there's nothing, there's nothing bad going on. You know, maybe they're, they're, un, they're frustrated about something, but there was nothing. I, I seemed like we're having a perfectly nice evening until that moment. Um, but I'm thinking about your, your term gratitude or the term gratitude. And it's an interesting, I have to do some thinking about that. It's a good, it's a good question. I guess um, that, like, if I get, like, I'll get, like, irritable, you know, and be like, ah, and, and then if I do, if I stop and make, like, a gratitude list, like, if I write down the things that I'm right. actually grateful for, if I'm annoyed with a person and then I write down a list of things I'm actually grateful for that that person's done or, like, I don't, I don't know, or just, like, yeah. things that I'm happy about in my life, I'm like, oh, I'm actually pretty lucky. And then, like, am I, th- am I thinking about this because I need... I don't know. Is it covering right. something else? Is this feeling of annoyance covering another feeling inside of me that's a little bit deeper and actually vulnerable? You know? I, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that each of us has, like, your engagement is, like, your, the way you process things or whatever is, like, you obviously, like, like I would never, I would make a list, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's not, that's not a perfectly, I may, I may make a list in a different way in my yeah. brain. Um, And I think that I am, and and actually, frankly, when I feel bad or mad, I I feel it. I just feel that. Like I just let it be because it's real. Like I'm mm-hmm. frustrated, and like I'm, I'm just feeling frustrated right now. Um, but I what I try not to do is to stain the rest of my life with that frustration. You know, try not to like let it be what it is, like a passing moment. Mm-hmm. Every dark moment is always followed by a light one unless you cut off right that's the that's the horribleness about suicide <laughs> you know which we were always, talking about earlier right there's always there's always another laugh you know until there's not and uh i think that the same way like with um i feel like in our own in our, in our own uh um like moments of feeling sad or upset or mad, I just try to keep them, just make peace with them. Say, all right, that's fine. I feel that way. Um, and maybe it's a matter of gratitude. I don't know. I think the problem I have with gratitude is I always feel like, what, who, what am I thanking? Mm-hmm. You know? Because um, then you sort of feel like that I've been, like, this is all like a gift. But, it, but life is a gift. So I don't know. It's, it may it's not tr- be from anyone except for. Right, exactly. Yeah. The universe. I, it's like I always think, like shit, man. I got you know. All we gotta do is wake up. That's all we gotta do, really. End of the day, we just gotta wake up. And then, yeah, there's times where things are trying, but so what? Try. <laughs> when things are trying, try, and then figure it out. Um, but mostly, I guess I feel like that they're like if I wanted to be dark about things, there's no shortage of things to be dark about. Oh yeah. But having said that, like, someone will tell me, like, oh, my God, did you hear about, like, you know, this thing and this thing happened, that these people are killed? And I said, yeah, but did you hear the people, all the people who didn't get killed today? Vastly outnumbered. Let's keep that in mind, too. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Panyo Georges. 
Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. like advice on a future podcast, call our hotline and leave a message. 971-361-9998. You can even disguise your voice if you'd like. In fact, we insist.